Well, hello. Welcome back to our Atreides Collections podcast series. It's so good to talk to you all again. This week, guys, we're travelling and we're going to finally get to use some frequent flyer miles. Yep, there may be restrictions on travel worldwide, but we've got our own airline here at Atreides Collections. It's Air Force Collections. <laughs> no, no bumpy rides and we can't wait to introduce you to our special international guest who will give you some great tips on navigating the turbulence you may find yourself in when trying to collect these debts overseas. I'm sure you're all cringing. I've gone a bit overboard on the airline analogies there. Just got a bit excited. Welcome back to my co-captain, our collections expert here in Australia, Daring Dave. I know you want to join it as an air steward, but <laughs> co-captain it is. <laughs> Today, I've, I've, got, I've got a promotion. <laughs> there you go. Today we're talking to a special guest from our Asia Middle East office, Ivor Mirit. Dave, you and I have all worked, I'm going to say Ivor now, you and I have all worked well together <laughs> for some time in Collections Australia team. Why don't you go ahead and give us an introduction the only way you can? Well, it's a pleasure to have Ivor on the show, uh, the country manager for India and UAE. He was formerly a humble collector many years ago, so he knows all about the business. And now, you know, he sort of parades around with almost an entourage, I expect, and uh, in the corner office. So, Ivor, welcome to the show and thank you for coming on. Well, what an introduction. So, for the viewers out there, they've never introduced me like this before, but thank you, Mary and David, for the warm introduction. And it's good to be talking to both of you, and thank thank you for having me on the, on the podcast. I can say it's been an interesting uh, five years living and working in Asia since I left our team, our old team in Australia, um, but I can't say I miss both of you that much. I will do my best though. Gee, so. thanks, Ivor. Be honest. <laughs> that, that'll do you for the show, Ivor. You can go now. I think I'll be back. Hopefully, I'll be back. Probably not. But I'll do my best to share tips and tricks when, you know, as Mary said, collecting debt internationally and during these peculiar times um, with the pandemic looming. So excited to be here. Thank you. Great. Thanks. So, Ivor, the last few weeks, we've been giving our customers and listeners some uh, insight into collection strategies to make sure they get paid. We talked a bit last week about when to be a bad cop, good cop, when to know when it's time for legal action. You work in our Asian Middle East offices, as you said, so your insight's going to be valuable. Mm. We know that international debt collection does not have universal rules or universal laws, so it's critical we understand how to approach collecting debts from debtors overseas. What do you think, in your experience now, has been the biggest challenge with international debt collections? Mary, didn't we say we'll start with the easy questions first? <laughs> After you said you missed us so much. Yeah, but, I mean, Ivor, well, this is a, okay. a multi-part question. I'm, I'm looking forward to your response I, I don't know where to start um let me just think about what you said i think you'd have to break that that question down to say three parts um because we're approaching collections on an international scale scale here um first and most importantly i'd say each market has its own unique uh, differences so think of an indian buy or a buyer in the united arab emirates it's going to be very very different from a typical australian buyer you have different um, factors such as time zones you have to think of different forms of communication there are language barriers uh, what legal options you may have if the debtor isn't coming to the table and also what costs are actually associated with running an international court case or if it's actually worthwhile doing that alone secondly i'd say another difference in the market say from the west to the east is physical buyer visits so in europe north america back home in Australia, it's very, very uncommon for customers or even third-party collectors to actually visit their buyers um, and conduct face-to-face -face negotiations. Whereas in countries such as China, Indonesia, the vast majority of the Gulf countries, India, Vietnam, Malaysia, our collections representatives, if they believe worthwhile um, to actually physically and also professionally approach buyers on behalf of our customers, we'll actually do this. So we'll negotiate repayment plans in person and we find it really works. 
That's interesting. Um, last point, I would say language. Uh, this is obviously common when you're trading internationally, and there's, there's no surprise here. There's a reason why trade ES collections have a unique presence in 33 different countries, and that's language. So many times we see our customers not understanding what the buyer is trying to say when they raise a dispute, or they find there's a discrepancy, which ultimately leads to a breakdown in communication and therefore a payment default. Um, normally, what we find is a simple, friendly phone call in the local language where the buyer is located absorbs so many of, of these cross-cultural barriers that you know, do occur on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. think of it, if you're trying to call a buyer in Oman from Sydney, where English, same as, I guess, yeah. Mary and I, isn't always the first language, it's not always taught in school, and trying to resolve that uh, internationally with that language barrier there, it's going to become a complex issue. And, you know, that's why we really hire local speaking debt collectors in each country where we operate. Um, that really, really find, that makes the difference. Yeah, it's interesting that um, the face-to-face -face works much more or it's more common in the East than the West. I mean, it would make for some very interesting high tea uh, conversations. But um, it's, it's great that we've got all these offices overseas as well, which is probably our best asset there, Ivor. It's not just... Just the language that you referred to, but the fact that we've got people on the ground understanding these local laws, behaviours and differences. Yeah, absolutely, Mary. And it, was, it came as a shock to me as well when I first moved from Australia into, into Asia where um, even buyers were requesting that we come down to their offices and I had to double check and think, look, is this appropriate? Is this right? But it's common practice here to, to sit behind someone or in front of someone, should I say, and, and discuss the payment plans face-to-face. You shake hands on it and you agree and, and you walk back. So it's a little bit different, say, from Australia or, or the West where you probably get a, a deed. I'm sure Dave has discussed mm. this before or a payment plan in writing, whereas this is, is much more relationship-based even when it goes wrong. It's a great yeah, opportunity just... for negotiation as well. Like uh, I, I think that opens up a lot of interesting possibilities in, in those regions if you can do face-to-face. -face. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Ivor, do you see a lack of understanding in these differences as the biggest issue for cu customers trying to collect the debt overseas? Yeah, absolutely, Dave. So look, apart from buyers not being able to pay the debt itself, um, I would say market differences probably coming out second for reasons of non-payment that come across our table. Um, I'll give you an example where I've personally, uh, I've personally seen that comes across my table time and time and again. Um, so with all trade, as we know, most customers will have some sort of contract or agreement of some sorts. Uh, when the default occurs, the agreements will have certain rights and provisions that you can undertake to, to reserve your rights. So now this is where it gets tricky on an international scale. So some of our customers, and this happens so often, mm. and it's very, very frustrating, will actually obtain legal judgments in the local court where they're located. So they think the buyer will be forced to pay once they obtain the judgment locally. Now, however, these judgments are generally worthless because you still need to enforce that judgment where the buyer is located as the law and regulation will differ in each jurisdiction. So what actually happens is our customers waste good time and money instead of actually pursuing the buyer in the country where the debt was incurred. So in fact, you're really granting the buyer more time not to pay the debt. Totally. And that's right. And then and then you they can pass it to your local debt collection team and you basically you have to say we have to restart the matter in a local court. Absolutely. And you have to incur further costs. We yeah. have to start the whole process again and we have to enforce that overseas judgment locally. I think is an easy route to, to get these um, judgments enforced locally. It turns out to be actually longer and more costly, as you say. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've read the um, Atreides Payment Practices Barometers that get published um, and the most recent one, which shows that late payments are becoming a bigger issue now. Saw some of the stats around Hong Kong where overdue invoices are up from 35% last year to 48% this year. 
similar increases in Singapore. But when you get to markets like India, overdue invoices and write-offs are up from 39% last year to a whopping 66% this year. And in the United Arab Emirates, the overdue invoices are up even further to 72% this year. That's some seriously unprecedented numbers here, and clearly buyers are in trouble. We know know that India's economy has contracted just over 20% in the three months to June. It's one of their worst slumps since the late 90s. And predictions it may take some time to turn around and, and we've seen the similar constra- um, contractions in the UAE economy where we've had collapsing oil prices and production. How do you approach collections in markets like this that are still seeing these economic hardships? I thought Mary would be on the easy questions now, but I'll have to, I'll have to take notes uh, to, to deconstruct this question. Okay, uh, it's a very good point. Um, and we all, I mean, we have to adapt. That's the first thing. And look, as the collections manager for the, both India and the Middle East markets, I'd have to lie if I said that we haven't seen an increase for requests for the payment extensions, as, as you mentioned, they've, they've significantly got worse in each of the markets we deal with. Um, India, I'd say, unfortunately, it has the second largest number of recorded coronavirus cases. With most metropolitan cities, they're still on full lockdown. Um, coupled with the government's recent demonetization policy, that's adding to the spread of the virus. We've, we've pretty much seen all sectors hit terribly. Uh, for our friends west of India and the UAE in the Middle East, they've also seen the impact of extended lockdowns um, with delaying payments, especially in the tourism, construction, and no surprise, the food and beverage sectors. I believe Abu Dhabi is still in lockdown. Jordan might be going back into lockdown as well. And with all these factors, especially with the economic downturn, you would no surprise you would see that we'd have to change our, our approach as well when we're when we're collecting the debt. Given the current climate where our collectors, um, if they're shown enough evidence from a buyer, when we're speaking to a buyer, we're visiting the buyer face-to-face. Um, if the buyer just says, hey, guys, look, we're struggling here. Here are our financials. We definitely have to take a more compassionate and objective approach um, we don't go gung-ho out there and um, we're trying to help our buyers pay pay their debts to our customers and really ride out this wave of economic downturns and as well as the uh, the virus. What's what's the average type of um, repayment plans there? Because when we're talking um, uh, Australia and mm. parts of the Western world, we, we look at trying to aim for six months. Is that realistic in this region or is that too short, too long? Yeah, it really depends on the sector. Okay, so if we're talking about, say, the pharmaceutical sector or the healthcare sector, you know, we're taking a bit more aggressive approach here because, you know, that is really booming Mm. for this industry. However, if we're talking, say, food and beverage, tourism, hospitality, Aviation. I mean, it's 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 no um, it's it's no wonder that the payment plans will be extended a little bit longer. Um, ideally, we try to collect everything within three to six months, um, given that you know the buyers that we're dealing with are experiencing cash flow issues or they're in in, in a more red sector or negative sector. Mm. But in India, in the UAE, in, in Saudi Arabia, we do have some payment plans that can extend two to three years. And look, as long as the buyer is showing yeah, us wow. ample evidence, yeah, it's 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 quite surprising. Um, as long as they're showing us ample evidence and they are contributing and they're, you know, they're paying each month and they're sticking to their arrangements, we're happy to help them ride out the wave. So, yeah, up, up to a few years. Yeah, okay, okay, that's interesting. Well, I hope, Dave, that nobody demonetizes Monopoly notes. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a disaster. I've got my stash of $50 Monopoly notes ready to go. Oh, oh, yeah. 
Monopoly real estate portfolio. Um, Ivor, most people want to talk about costs and know about costs as well. Is it more expensive to try and collect debts overseas? And if that is the case, why is it more expensive? Yeah, it's a good question, Mary. Um, you probably have to look at the, the most significant costs that are incurred are the legal costs when you're really pursuing buyers in different countries. First and foremostly, I'd say you have to understand the legal framework of the buyer's country. Uh, luckily, say in India, Singapore, Australia, Hong Kong, due to previous uh, British colonial rule, they still oper operate under British common law. So the courts are relatively efficient, uh, time-wise, and they're quite cost-effective. Then where it gets in more interesting is you have other countries such as uh, UAE, uh, where courts will still request documents to only be submitted in Arabic. So you can imagine our customers having to translate every single document from the native, um, the native tongue or from English uh, into Arabic. There's a cost there. Um, in the Middle East also, it's common for courts to take a percentage of the total debt amount just to hear the case. So I can give you an example. Think of that. You've got a 1 million USD outstanding matter in your buyers in Saudi Arabia. Some courts here, depending on the value of the case, can take up to 4 to 5% of the debt amount just to hear your case. So you're looking at a bill of 50,000 USD before you've even stepped just into the court. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. God. Other, I mean, I can talk more interestingly, you can look at like Vietnam. Um, their framework is a little bit more interesting as it's a mix of French civil war and it actually has remnants of a Soviet era communist legal procedures. So you can imagine when our customers are trying to file legal proceedings there and, and, and obtaining legal advice locally, it complicates proceedings. What a mixture. <laughs> yeah. Great time to be a translator as well. <laughs> These days it's booming. But I mean, I, I, let me mention one more thing, which is quite interesting. It's just come, just come to me. So sometimes the legal framework does support our customers. So it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, in Thailand, in UAE, you have a provision under, under their, their framework where if a buyer actually sends you a check and that check bounces, our customers have the right to file a criminal complaint um, with the local police department upon the person who's actually signed that check. So for example, in the UAE, if there's an active criminal complaint against you, you can't actually leave the country until you pay the overdue debt. Wow. You, oh, wow. You're in trouble, Mary. That check that you bounced uh, recently, maybe the police will come round. <laughs> I'm living in Sydney, Dave. Living in Sydney. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> once they find out, Mary, I mean, really, it's 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 an issue. That really is interesting. Next time she's though. in Bangkok, she's, in she's native, not leaving, uh, Dave. It's in my native Lebanese pound. It's not going to matter so much at the moment, Dave. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no more trips to Bangkok, um, Mary. Yeah. Well, if we, if we believe what we're reading, we're all expecting some unprecedented insolvency numbers early next year. That's pretty much what we've been hearing since February 2020. We can already see forecasts of insolvency increases. We, we've, however, seen the opposite. We're seeing they're falling away, but that's mostly due to government intervention by these so-called insolvency holidays, which we know won't last forever and doesn't really address underlying structural issues. What's your view, um, or either of you, on how to navigate these insolvency proceedings and some of the markets that we operate in. Do you see spikes in insolvencies as you try and negotiate debt collections or is still mostly seeing default situations? Uh, this is an interesting one, Mary, and it's something that we've been doing a bit of research on in Atradius and it's highly relevant to Atradius collections because the models are showing that global corporate insolvencies are forecast to increase by 26% in 2020, obviously due to the wow. COVID uh, pandemic pushing mm. the world economy into recession. Now, the depth of of the economic contraction varies per country depending on various factors. Uh, first of all, the contraction is forecast to be higher in countries with longer and more stringent lockdown measures.
measures. Uh, so, for example, countries in southern Europe, such as Spain, Italy, France, Portugal, Greece, are more exposed to the current crisis as their economic activity is highly dependent on tourism. And inside those examples, um, some of the countries, such as Greece, have had a relatively successful containment strategy, which has kind of cushioned their numbers. Australia um, is ranking among the best, amongst the best performing developed countries. Obviously, we had a very successful containment uh, strategy of the new infections, but our economy in Australia is very vulnerable due to the high exposure of tourism and export uh, services to Southeast Asia. Now, in reference to your point, perhaps strangely at first glance, the global insolvency numbers recorded in the first half of 2020 exhibit a peculiar decreasing behaviour, which is at odds with the global recession. Like, for example, yeah. most notably, UK, Spain and France are exhibiting uh, 20, minus 20% to minus 40% reduction in insolvency numbers. And these are countries that have been severely impacted by the economic downturn due to COVID. So the question then becomes, why are the insolvency numbers so low currently? Um, well, firstly, most countries have made changes to the insolvency rules to protect companies from going bankrupt. We've seen this in Australia, US, UK, and several major European countries. However, these measures, these, these insolvency holidays are temporary, and virtually in all countries, the relaxation measures end in the latter part of 2020. Um, now, secondly, uh, governments and central banks around the world have taken measures to counteract the economic effects of the virus and to support small businesses. So governments in Germany, Netherlands, France and Australia have explicitly mentioned that these measures will be extended beyond the second quarter of 2020. And in the European Union, for example, there's a common 750 billion euro recovery fund that redistributes funds from countries that have fared better through the pandemic to ones that have fared worse. So you can see like that's a direct, the government is actually stepping in to help in many, many regions around the developed world. Uh, the Federal uh, Reserve in the US and the Bank of England have started lending programs for small and medium enterprises. Um, however, and this is key, the most direct support is coming from governments and the fiscal measures are aimed at providing companies breathing space, which has come under pressure because of the decline in revenue news but the thing is it's only going to last for so long the governments eventually will pull away from these kind of measures of course yeah yeah on on that point dave you mentioned um it's quite strange you would think that you know global insolvency figures um actually down instead of up mm. um so you have to also think you know we're talking international uh, scale here so some markets we actually deal with vietnam indonesia oman thailand we see very very few formal insolvency so think of the normal administration and liquidation mm. proceedings that most of our listeners are used to and why is that because in these countries the legal framework hasn't even developed yet to support that efficient process that we're used to in british common law countries so what you're actually finding is buyers just throwing up their hands and, and giving up mm. um, and that's why it's really advantageous in these countries to appoint you know a licensed international debt collector like a trader so it actually has boots on the ground yeah. um, as opposed to relying on um, frameworks that might not be there to support you at all yeah to yeah, try, try got, to recover some funds amicably basically don't you think i bought like absolutely yeah, yeah. Absolutely. exactly collect the debts rather than just say well it's insolvent and that's it everyone walk away you've got time to negotiate with buyers and come up with uh, reasonable payment plans um yeah. i've read that a traders publication issued this month it's actually really insightful and we'll probably leave a link to it for uh, listeners to have mm. a read of because mm. it's um quite an interesting read oh it definitely is and i mean in summary though we expect to see higher bankruptcy numbers in the second half of 2020 um, that's basically, as I said, the phasing out of the fiscal stimulus measures and a reopening of bankruptcy courts and proceedings. And, and that's going to extend not, not just here in Australia, but through Europe and US. Um, and so we could say that they're going to end sort of in basically quarter three of 2020 for most countries. 
And uh, the governments, let's face it, like all these stimulus measures are going to weigh heavily on government budgets worldwide. And there's only so long that, I mean, governments, a lot of them are democracies. And frankly, you know, they're going to start thinking about the next election. Um, so, look, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting times. All major regions are going to be confronted with an increase in insolvencies in, in 2020, late 2020 and 2021. And it's a significant challenge, which all clients should be aware of when trading. And I would advise you get the debts that you you are worried about to your um to Atradius collections um sooner rather than later that's my that's my you know view yeah especially if you're not very familiar with what's happening on the yeah. ground in some of these markets overseas yeah exactly. um, where you got people who know it like the back of their hand so absolutely um well i'm almost sad to say our time's pretty much up it's been great <laughs> chatting with you uh, Ivor, yeah. and again learning a lot <laughs> thank you mary thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember, while our customers are out there getting a good night's sleep, our worldwide collections team are out there collecting debts, making sure um, clients get paid. They understand the rules, the regulations, the laws, how to navigate all of that to make sure that you get paid. That's the main benefit of using a reputable and knowledge collections company like a Traders Collection. Any last words of wisdom from you? Well, I was going to say it's almost time for Ivor to hop back into the Atradius Collections plane and, uh, you know, get back, <laughs> get, get back to doing what he does best. Absolutely. And, and Mary, for any listeners trading internationally um, and they want more information, you know, you can visit our website, atradiuscollections.com, where we actually have a, a free debt collection handbook um, where we cover, I mean, more detail each of the countries where we operate in and, you know, ultimately we're there to help you. Thank you. Well, we'll make sure we leave a link to that as well. Great flying with you guys. It's been... Um, Awesome talking to you both. Thank you, Mary. Um, stay Thank safe, you. Ivor, Thanks for having us. And, uh, we'll see you in Australia again soon, I'm sure. Hopefully. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.